You're listening to Around Comics, episode 170. the comic culture podcast i'm christopher neisman and i'll be your guide for the next hour plus of comic book news information and entertainment coming up on this episode we talk with eric powell he is the creator of the goon then the quiet panelologists at work continue their a to z or z of british comics jeremy mullins is here for another webcomic recommendation tom caters returns as the answer man Writer Will Pfeiffer gets us ready for the week ahead with new DVD releases and his cult DVD pick of the week. Jerry Duggan returns to the show for an in-depth discussion about the Writers Guild of America strike and his new project, Infinite Horizon, that he's doing with Phil Noto. The Collected Comics Library's Chris Marshall is here for this week's trade paperback and collected edition releases. And then Tom Caters gets us ready with his highlighted list of new single-issue releases for the week. All that and more is next on Around Comics. Writer-artist Eric Powell is certainly no stranger to mainstream comics, but it's with his creator-owned series at Dark Horse, The Goon, that he's really made his mark. We were lucky enough to catch up with Eric right after the release of Chinatown, his first Goon original graphic novel. It was a serious, quite literally a serious departure for The Goon, and that's where we pick up the conversation here, talking about The Goon, Chinatown. Congratulations on the Goon graphic novel Chinatown. I just finished reading that about uh, about two three weeks ago and really enjoyed it. Congratulations for uh, uh, the accomplishment of putting out a graphic novel. Oh, thanks. I'm uh, I'm really excited the the reaction it got. Um, I was kind of expecting maybe you know some people would like it and then there would be you know the other half that would tell me to you know kind of shut up and go back to, you know, doing something funny. <laughs> sure, I mean, you... But, uh, you seemed to get a pretty universal uh, good response, which was nice. It was it, it was really cool that, that everybody, you know, kind of let me uh, do something that's kind of off track like that. Well, you took, I think, two two big leaps that, that I felt that, that, number one, you took a series that, that had done very very well in in single issues and you jumped mm-hmm. right into a graphic novel to to tell a much bigger story and like you said you're you're kind of known for uh the goon being a very funny book and you you kind of announced big bold letters right off the the bat that this ain't funny yeah uh 
part of the reason I wanted to do the story as a graphic novel was because it was such a, you know, um, departure from the series that I thought, you know, that we had some discussion um, about publishing it uh, as uh, like a mini-series or a series of issues or something like that, and I was really against it because, you know, the Goon is, is known for being this funny comic, and I thought if, you know, the Goon is in the middle of this, you know, emotional uh, scene in the story, and someone just kind of picks up the comic and, you know, kind of thumbs through it or whatever, uh, it's it's just going to kind of come off as kind of funny, sure. you know, like, oh, is this supposed to be funny? You know, is this, you know, <laughs> him uh, crying over some girl or something? Is that a joke? I don't get it. You know, that kind of thing. So I, I thought the story should be told in a giant chunk in a graphic novel sure that was that that was actually if we're talking about the same sequence that uh we, we talked about it on the show a couple yeah. weeks ago our, our regular roundtable show and i think it was what five pages that you kind of showed the mental collapse of the goon and yeah you know the, these full headshots and and i'm and i'm reading that i'm the entire time i'm thinking this is something that you you, you almost can't do in a conventional comic and that's when it just kind of clicked for me it's like yeah this story had to be as a graphic novel. It, w it wouldn't have worked any yeah. other way. Yeah, because five pages out of a 22-page comic, that's a that's a big chunk, you know? And originally, the story, I had it slated as like, you know, we were going to do it as a little hardcover or something, but I think uh, my original uh, projection was maybe 48 pages or 60-something pages. As I started laying out the story, you know, I was like, there's no way I can do this. And it ended up, you know, doubling and, and ended up around 110 pages or something like that. Yeah, I, I, but I never felt like anything was, was rushed or, and at yeah. the same time, I don't feel like you, like you padded it. It felt, you know, that's one of the nice things about a graphic novel is that you have as much or as little room to tell your story as you want. It's, it's really the only goon story I've done so far that I haven't had to tweak or cram or something to make it it work in the format of the single issue comic book um so that was that was nice it, it was a, it was a good experience being able to you know just do the story make it as long as it needs to be and do whatever i need to do to tell the story so sure. that was really cool Another thing I liked about it is that, you know, you guys, it looks like you were serious from the get-go in the presentation. It's, it is a beautiful hardcover presentation. That had to make you really happy when you saw the final product. Yeah, I have an awesome uh, book designer named Amy Ardens mm -hmm. at Dark Horse, and uh, she did the Fancy Pants book and all the trade paperbacks and everything. She did a, I just kind of gave her, like, a direction, and I said, I want, you know, this, and I want this color scheme. And she ran with it and did an amazing job. That's fantastic. Now, whenever I'm sure that a lot of folks that may have not been fans of the Goon previously may have picked this up. What do you think their reaction is going to be if this inspired them enough to go out and get the regular series? What do you think the reaction will be? I don't know. There, <laughs> We're going to find out, be, I guess. Huh? There, could be, yeah, there, there could be some major disappointment there. <laughs> yeah, there you know. I don't know. Hopefully that the point has gotten across that this is a, is a bit of a departure and not the same thing as the, the ongoing series. So maybe that will give them a little bit of warning. 
Yeah. Now, what uh, what's the reaction been from uh, from your existing fan base? Because goon fans, I'm sure, are are pretty uh, are, are pretty ardent about being goon fans, and and it seems like you have a pretty uh, a pretty yeah. close creator fan relationship with that with that fan base out there. What's the reaction been like? I I've been completely positive. I think I got one. Uh, there was like one guy on the message board who. Uh, Said he was kind of disappointed. He was expecting it to be more like uh, the Godfather or something like that. And I was like, "Well, I mean, he didn't say exactly what was wrong with it. He just kind of said ah, it was kind of a letdown. I was expecting something epic like the Godfather." And I was like, "Well, he's comparing it to probably the greatest gangster film ever made. So maybe his expectations were a little high." Other than that, it's it's been like a universal positive response. Well, I, if you have one person on the internet complaining about it, I would say that's kind yeah. of a, a runaway <laughs> success. <laughs> I'm sure. I mean, if somebody listens to this and they hated it, they'll probably you know chime in, which is fine. But um, sure. Well, speaking of the new series, the 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 goon. That's another thing is that you did take some time off uh, from the from the regular series to do this, and yeah. now now the goon is back. Uh, issue twenty just uh, came out uh, a couple weeks ago as as this episode is being released and uh, mm-hmm. it was it was kind of right back into I don't, I don't want to say the same old goon but it was definitely mm-hmm. uh, a, a very very humorous but the the supernatural bent to it that goon fans have yeah. have come to uh, come to appreciate and expect um, one change though is that you have Dave Stewart working on colors now so how's uh, how's it uh, been working with Dave on that it's been really great he um, he brings an element to the comic that I just wasn't able to bring. Um, the, you know, it's like when you're when you're working on this stuff, you're always under a deadline, and naturally, the last thing that you're going to work on is the, you know, the color. And so that was always the area that felt a little rushed to me, and and I wasn't, you know, putting all the little bells and whistles in there that I could have because of, uh, you know, just the time constraint. Having him come on board, one, he's amazing, and two, he's, you know. Being, he's able to go in there and actually, you know, uh, really polish everything up. Um, issue 20 actually didn't print that well. It came out a little dark. I, I wish everyone could see, like, the screenshots that, that I got from Dave because they're, they're like, so much better than what actually printed. Wow. Um, so hopefully hopefully the next couple of issues, you know, we can adjust the, uh, the printing a little bit and, and get it to print a little bit lighter and, uh, you know, so you can... Well, one of the things in the in the back of of the issue, and I I just talked about your fan base a little earlier, and and how uh, how dedicated they are. You had uh, some great pictures of some fans with goon tattoos. How uh, how weird yeah. is that for you to either get pictures in the mail <laughs> or have people at conventions walk up to you and say, "Hey, I just had uh, your creation uh, permanently tattooed onto my body." It's it's a little weird. It's a little weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like wow. I it's. I think about the things, you know, I don't, I don't have any tattoos because every time I come up with an idea, I, you know, give myself a mandatory, I should think about this, mm-hmm. you know, time. <laughs> and I always get sick of the idea before I actually get anything done, you know, because it's going to be permanently on your body. I guess you really should be in love with the idea before you, you know, get something tattooed. I think that's but, some pretty uh, sage advice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> think about it. it just take, yeah. take a day or two. But uh, I, I think about the things that I would get tattooed and how much they mean to me. And uh, to, for somebody to, like, think 
to, to, to have that that much of a a connection with the the character and the comic and everything to actually get a tattoo of it that that means a lot it it's really extremely flattering but at the same time do you have yeah. any like Kathy Bates misery moments with that not so far <laughs> i haven't had any like overtly weird tattoo things like <laughs> I have your name on my ass or something like that, you know. Nice. Um, it's it's pretty cool. I, I can't complain too much about that. That's uh, <laughs> just uh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Again, really, flat, yeah, it's, really it's kinda, flattering. Yeah, yeah. I can just uh, just imagine you know someone walking up to you at a at a con and you know pulling up a pant leg and saying, "Oh," and that has to be you know it's like, is that real? Uh, do you have to check it? Yeah. Make sure that it's not just drawn on. Yeah, I, I, I actually. <laughs> that this last uh actually one of the photos you're talking about in the comic i did a little frankie like five second doodle for for a guy and uh he got it tattooed on his leg and i was he, he showed it to me i'm like is that real you know you i mean it had my signature on there and everything and i you know i i know what my little five second doodles look like so i know that's what it was and he's like yeah you did this little drawing for me and i got it tattooed on my leg Wow. I was like, wow. <laughs> I, something, if I'd have known you were going to get it tattooed, maybe I would have, you know, doodle or something. <laughs> but, uh. That's cool. Well, speaking of Frankie, he's, I think he's a lot of people's favorite character in the series. I mean, it, the yeah. goon is obviously the title character, but Frankie is, is really a great character. Where did, where'd the inspiration for that character come from? Uh, I honestly don't know. <laughs> I always like the, the idea of the big guy having the little, you know, buddy around and everything and kind of like, you know, the straight man and the goon is obviously the straight man in the series. He's there just to, you know, bat dialogue back to Frankie. Frankie is the one who's the, you know, the nut. I don't know. I could, I could pull like a hundred sources out on that one. That would be like, uh, you know, the old, uh, Warner Brothers cartoons where there's the big dog and the little yappy dog. Sure, and, hey, you know, hey Spike, hey Spike, how you doing? Where are we going? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure. The, the Andy Griffith show. I'm a big fan of the Andy Griffith show. <laughs> I don't know why. I just love it. And it's like, you know, Andy kind of the straight man and Barney is the, you know, kind of comic relief. How'd you, uh, where, where'd the, where'd the line knife to the eye come from? Because that is, that, that's one of, of my favorites in the series. Whenever Frankie gives a good knife to the eye, that's always a highlight in the issue for me. <laughs> it's, that's one of those things that just kind of popped up once in the comic and I liked it, so I kept doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, it just seems like something really vicious to do to, to stick something in somebody's eye, you know? Cause it's not <laughs> like, hey, you stab me in the arm, you know, you can go get it bandaged up. You know, you stab somebody in the eye, that's kind of permanent, you know? They're going to be blind. So. <laughs> it's going to weed out. Viciously stabbing somebody in the eye, you know, and he, I think the first time I did it, it was like some little squid guy or something, and he was like, you know, knife to the eye, and I, thought, I just thought it was funny, so I thought I should make it like a reoccurring thing. Oh, absolutely! It's a great line, and like I said, whatever happens, it's always a it's always a great moment in the in the comic, and usually, you know, the the climax of a you know a big battle, and you know Frankie has yeah. to you know goes right for the eye, and it's like okay, yeah, yeah they, you know they're gonna win now. We got a good knife <laughs> to the eye line there. Well, yeah. you are you are a, a native Tennessean, correct? Right. Yep. We we have one of those that's that's relocated to uh, Chicago by the name of uh, Mike Norton, and uh, and I, yep. I sent I sent Mike an email today and asked him if he had any questions for you or or any uh, uh, funny <laughs> stories. But he he said he he didn't have any questions or funny stories, but he 
very uh, sent this cryptic email back and wanted me to uh, to ask you about the kid at the Nashville fairgrounds that got mauled by a dog. Oh, <laughs> oh my god! Uh, <laughs> um, there, there. <laughs> I think Mike, I can't remember if Mike was there. I think he was with us. I was with uh, Mark Ballard, who runs some little local uh, comic conventions here. And we were going to the Nashville Fairgrounds. Uh, he was showing me where they were setting up the next day or something. And he stops to talk to this woman. And I'm assuming that he knows this lady because of the way he's talking to her. Mm -hmm. And he's just like, hey, how's it going? And blah, blah. And I'm trying to remember the way this went. Uh, she was holding a kid, that's right, she was holding a kid, and the kid had, like, a stitches or something in his head, and she, they're sitting there talking, and all of a sudden, she just started going, and this one here got mauled by a dog, <laughs> and, and I was just like, what? What did she just say? And then, we kind of drove away, and I was like, who was that? Is that somebody you know? And he's like, no, I don't know her. <laughs> but he was just talking, and she's just blabbing on about this kid getting mauled by a dog. And so then we kind of riffed on it and was like, you know, That's <laughs> he was wearing his meat britches or something <laughs> like that, and the dog got after him. You know, I don't know. I think I actually used that in the goon somewhere. I was going to say this sounds this sounds like a, a goon subplot somewhere. Yeah, I think it. I think that was. I think meat britches was used in the goon somewhere. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'd have to go back and look, but I'm pretty sure I used that because that's too good not to use. Sure, absolutely. And, yeah. and speaking of, speaking of our buddy, uh, our buddy Mike. Every time I read the goon and and I hear about Norton's Pub or seeing Norton, yeah. is 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 that where is that where you got the name was for was from Mike? Yeah, I was I was trying to think up a name for the pub, and I was like, I'm Norton's. There, so, yeah, it was kind of like a a little uh, shout out to Mike. If you go to uh, is it thegoon dot com? That's that's the website for the goon, correct? Yeah. They, there's some great YouTube videos there. Uh, a, a, uh -huh. An interview for uh, for for Dark Horse, and then <laughs> and then there's the 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 goon mock movie. Uh, what is it? The uh, the goon mock movie from uh, San panel, Diego. Panel from Comic Con. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, it said that Norton would be played by Chris Rock, which I think is perfect yeah. casting. Because so, if you've never met Mike Norton, looks a lot like Chris Rock, so I thought that was perfect. <laughs> what was well, it? Norton, Norton the character isn't isn't modeled after Mike. I just you know took the name. There, you mean yeah. he's not a, a short, stubby, bald man? No, no. He, he's kind of a tall, hairy guy. <laughs> That that would be Mike. <laughs> Actually, you guys kind of have the you know the brother vibe going on. You both have a little bit of the Tennessee mountain man look. Oh, maybe it, yeah. It it must be Tennessee, yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of, of San Diego, you had a, a couple fun things. There, you had the the mock movie panel, which you mm -hmm. have to talk about how you guys came up with that and they came up with that whole idea. But then you also had the Beauty and the Geek costume contest. Oh yeah. So that had to be kind of a fun San Diego for you. That day, the well, the 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 movie panel was a couple of years before, um, and the the. Beauty and the Geek thing was last year, with the, or this year, whatever. Um, uh, that was actually, I was getting kind of shuffled around from place to place really fast, so I, I actually didn't really enjoy the Beauty and the Geek thing, because I was all like, oh, crap, we got to get out of here, because we we're supposed to be, like, announcing at the Eisner Awards, and, you know, this was a TV show, and I thought they could probably care less about 
you know, the schedule of some comic book guy, you know. Who so they're, was, prob- they're probably not even going to know what the Eisner Awards are. Yeah, but yeah. they were really cool about it and and hurried up our segment or whatever and, and got us in there and out and and uh, so it, it was it wasn't too bad. It was uh, it was pretty fun listening to those guys, you know, pitch their uh, their superhero ideas. <laughs> but <laughs> how did you how did you even uh, get how did you even get pulled into that? Uh, they approached Dark Horse. Uh, they were wanting some comic book creators, and uh, um, you know they asked if uh, if we'd do it. They're like, okay, yeah, we'll do it. So <laughs> there you go. Good, good promotion. Get well, plugged on TV, I guess. Absolutely. You know, I saw and where did I see the? Oh, uh, Super Bad. Oh yeah. Uh, did you have any idea, for anyone that hasn't seen Superbad out there, there is, you know, bright as day, a big goon poster in 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 one of the bedrooms. Did you know that that was going to happen, or how, do you have any yeah, idea? Yeah, they, they, they asked permission. Um, the funny thing is, uh, I didn't know, I heard that there was some goon stuff in there, but I didn't know exactly what, they just asked permission if they could, you know, use the goon in the movie. And um, I said, yeah, of course, because I'm a big, you know, Judd Apatow and Seth Rogen fan. And uh, but when they initially asked me, the the they asked, "Is it cool if we have two kids rolling a joint on a goon comic?" <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, <laughs> I was like that, that, that's awesome. Yeah, of course, you know, you guys can do that." And um, and so I didn't know how they were going to use it, so I'm kind of going into the movie thinking, like, are they still going to roll a joint on a Goon comic or something? But no, I, I guess that they, whatever that was for, they must have cut it out or something. But uh, You felt a little jilted they, yeah. after the show then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was right. Uh, yeah, they had the poster on the wall, so that was cool. Well, in uh, in addition to to the goon, which is is obviously your passion and your creator own work, and you've you've made a, an incredible world there that a lot of people should should go and check that out. You've also worked in some mainstream comics. Uh, you you worked pretty heavily in uh, in the Whedon verse in Buffy and Angel, and uh, here just recently on Action Comics with uh, Jeff Johns on uh, the Great Escape from Bizarro World storyline. What's um yeah. What's it like working, you know, a with other people's creations? Is it uh, is it kind of nice to uh, to take a break from the world of of the goon? And um, what was it like working with Jeff Johns? Um, it was really cool working with with Jeff. He um, was really open to to any to let me throw out suggestions as far as like I mean I didn't have any suggestions as far as the like major plot anything like that, and I would have you know not felt right even making suggestions about the plot but any like little quirky thing i wanted to throw in there i was i was like what if we did this and can we throw this character in there and he actually asked me if if there are any characters i want to throw in and uh so that was really nice it's really nice when someone you know will listen to your opinions and uh so that was a lot of fun it was it was a lot of fun to work on my schedule because i was working on that the same time as Chinatown and uh, a couple other things, my schedule was just completely insane, and uh, there was a lot of pressure during that time. That's my only regret about that is I wish that I could have uh, taken more time with it and and actually been able to calm down and enjoy the fact that I was getting to draw a Superman story. 
Sure. Um, but yeah, it's uh, every time I do something like that, I'm really glad to return to the goon though, because <laughs> it, it there's no restrictions. I'm doing anything I want, and I'm just having so much fun with it. There's really nothing that can, that can top the level of uh, enjoyment I'm getting out of of doing the goon. That's, I mean, that's one of the things that, you know, we hear repeatedly from, from folks that work on their own creator own stuff. There's just, you know, as much as you want to go and, and draw Superman or, or Batman or Spider-Man, there's really yeah. nothing quite like your own work that, that you're going to yeah. be able to leave your mark on. And, you know, the, I think the goon is one of those perfect examples of you've created a world that is very much yours and that yeah. it's, it's, Eric Powell's The Goon, and that's how it'll always be looked at. So that's got to be pretty cool. Well, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you what, Mr. Uh, Mr. Powell, it has been a pleasure talking with you. Um, we'll wrap up here with uh, with what's coming up with The Goon now that you're back on, on a regular schedule with the series. What do we have mm-hmm. to look forward to? Well, you know, this this year we're taking it monthly with, with Dave Stewart doing the colors and everything, and there, there are a few reasons I wanted to take it monthly in uh, 2008 because uh, one was just to give the fans because there has been such a long gap while I was working on Chinatown um, I wanted to give the fans you know a little payback and go here you know here's the big chunk of goon comics for you you know since you've been waiting and the other reason is there are lots of things that uh, are coming to a climax in the story some things that uh I couldn't really get to until Chinatown was finished. And now Chinatown is out there and everyone's read it and they know that story. So now I can kind of take the next uh, step forward in the, in, you know, the overall story. And, uh, there are some major shakeups and, and the, the roles of certain characters are going to change. And, and it's, uh, so it's going to be an, it's going to be an exciting year for, for people who like the goon. Any, uh, any any uh, any thoughts about ever returning to graphic novels and making uh, a second goon graphic novel? Yeah, I really want. It was like like I, I mentioned before. It was it was really kind of liberating to be able to go in and go. Okay, this story's going to be as long as it needs to be. Mm-hmm. It's not. It doesn't have to be twenty two pages or you know forty four pages. It, it can be whatever it's going to be. And and have that kind of freedom with the visuals and everything, and I just I really enjoyed it, and I want to do it again. And who knows, <clears throat> maybe a few years down the line, you know, when I start getting older and I don't feel like killing myself, <laughs> maybe I'll just turn the goon into you know some graphic novels or something. I don't know, but who knows? That's a ways away. There any uh, any plans or, or thoughts on maybe doing uh, doing work outside of the goon? Not not even at Marvel or DC, but uh, you know, creating yeah. an entire other line of creator own work outside I've of the, got, the goon yeah. world. I've got a couple of other uh, other stories I want to do, and eventually I'm going to get to them. Um, but yeah, I, I I think the majority of my work from here on out is going to be creator own stuff, even if it's not the goon. I just. I just really love the freedom I have with doing my own material. Uh, drawing, you know, drawing superheroes and, and stuff you grew up with is really fun, but I get a lot of satisfaction out of doing my own material, so I think I'm going to kind of stick to that. 
Well, we wish you the best of luck, and we'll be reading whatever you do whenever it comes out, whether it's the, the goon or otherwise. But, uh, Mr. Powell, it has been a pleasure talking with you. Uh, enjoy the you rest of, uh, of your Tennessee winter down there where it's nice, yeah. and, uh, nice and warm <laughs> in comparison. And uh, yeah. know that uh, you, can, uh, you can call on us anytime, and we'd love to talk to you again. Well, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. And we'd certainly like to thank Eric Powell for taking time out of his busy schedule to talk with us. Make sure to go to thegoon.com to check out all things The Goon on the Internet. Now let's uh, educate you a little bit, or edutain you a little bit, with the quiet panelologist at work as they continue their A to Z, or Z, of British comics. Welcome back to the Quiet Panologist at Work A to Z of British Comics. Hooray! Hooray, and this week we're on the letter I. So, have you got an I, Matt? I have, John. I've heard you've got four. Um, my I, Matt, is Ian Gibson. Ian Gibson? Who's Ian Gibson? He's an artist. Oh. And he's best known, probably, for his work in 2008, where he drew such stories as Robo Hunter. Ace Trucking, and The Ballad of Halo Jones. Oh, wow, see how it all links together. Which you know all about. Yeah. When it comes to his US work, he's probably best known for drawing Mr. Miracle in 1980. Do you remember that? No, I wasn't alive in 1980. All right, okay. But since 2000, he's been back at 2000 AD, and he's been drawing comics like Judge Dredd. And that is all I know about Ian Gibson. Do you? Uh, I know that he once built a car... Made of nothing but Dairy Lee triangles. Never. I may have made that up. Oh, okay. That's it. Well, well that's uh, very informative of you, John. Yeah, it's like a small information nugget. Okay. Like a, an in-fuck-it. In-fuck-it. Mm. Well, my eye for the A to Z of British comics, John, is international. International? That's right. For British comics. Yes, comics international. I see what you've done there. Yes, Comics International is a British magazine about comics. Wow. Comics International magazine provides up-to-date news and reviews of comics from around the world. That's incredible. But there is a particular focus on the British comic and comic book creators. Right. It's very good. Yeah, it's good. Originally (laughs) printed 16 years ago on black and white newsprint, the magazine now features full-colour glossy covers as well as colour pages inside. My God, it's like a proper magazine. It's come on in leaps and bounds. Yes. Mm. Maybe people would want to read this, Matt. Where would they read it? How would they get it? They'd simply go to their local comic shop if they lived in the UK. What if they didn't? If they don't live in the UK, they can probably order it online. From a UK shop? Yeah, why not? Maybe they could go to their website. They could go to comics-international.co.uk. Yes. And they could probably find it there. That's published by Quality Communications, isn't it? It is published by Quality Communications, who have also, famously enough, published Warrior and Miracle Man and V for Fendetta. Quality Communications is a company formed by Des Skin in 1982. I see. Now, if you can imagine, see, if you're in the States... You've got Wizard, full-colour, glossy magazine, probably about 300 pages. Like that. There. 
Well, Comics International is like 2000 AD sized, about 100 pages, most of it black and white. It's a bit more like a newspaper, but more of a magazine. More like a magazine newspaper cross. Right. Is it still now? I've not read it for some time. No, nor have I. But currently, for example, in this month's Comics International, there is an interview with Dan Slott, he of the initiative. Right. An interview with Will Pathifa. <laughs> Pathifa. Pathifa. And an interview with Pat Mills. Ah. Features on Spider-Man 3, Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer. Also, regular columns include Talking Shop, Frame <laughs> to... F- what? <laughs> Their latest issue. Mm-hmm. Up-to-date news is a feature on Spider-Man 3. Oh, yeah, this... Actually, yeah, this is June 2007 I'm looking at. <laughs> no, no, but we recorded this back in June 2007. Oh, right, okay. So this is what... This is our latest, the latest news. Okay. Well, it might, the info might not be up to date, but Comics International, the home of the UK up-to-date comic book news and reviews magazine. Sounds great. Yeah, I kind of messed that one up. I think didn't we've I? done them a real service by even mentioning them. Oh, thank you. They should be pleased. Yeah, I'm sure. Quick, we'll uh, we'll, we'll dash over it and just move on to the next one. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye. And a big thanks, as always, to Matt and John from the Quiet Panelologist at Work. Remember, you can check out their podcast by going to panelologist.com. You can also find their podcast by going to the Comics Podcast Network. They're a member of the network just like we are, and Collected Comics Library and a host of other podcasts. You can find all of us there by going to www.comicspodcast.com. And now let's move on to one of our other favorite segments here at Around Comics. Each week, Professor Jeremy Mullins drops some knowledge on us about the ever-changing world of webcomics. It's certainly not hard to find webcomics, but it is hard to find the ones that will appeal to you. And uh, if you were lucky enough to listen to last week's episode, Jeremy suggested a webcomic by a former guest of Around Comics, Cameron Stewart. If you know his work from Sea Guy with uh, Grant Morrison or uh, the other side with Jason Aaron. Well, Cameron is doing a webcomic called Scene Tutelo. And uh, go back, listen to last week's episode, and you can find out all about it. Or you can go to the forums at aroundcomics.com, and we have a sticky thread that keeps track of all of Jeremy's webcomic recommendations. So you can do that each week and find out what those are. But for this week's recommendation, here's Jeremy. Ugh. I feel like crud this week. I am sick as a dog. But uh, old Cammy Knoxville from the forum might have shot me uh, just what I need to cure what ails me. And what he shot me was a link to a webcomic. That webcomic is called Lucid TV. You can find it at lucid-tv.com. Uh, check it out. It's this. It's a comic strip. It's about the uh, resident staff of the Jim Belushi Memorial Hospital in Juneau, Alaska. It's created by uh, John Tiberius Koch, Dave Rothline, and Hutch Armstrong. And, you know, on the surface it looks like a Dr. Soap Opera strip, a la like Rex Morgan MD or whatever. Um, But in in the strip, the the doctors are total jerks. Um, So in that way, I guess it mimics real life. but essentially there's a lot of black comedy there's truckloads of your baby's dead or your spouse is dead or Andrew WK is dead uh, humor um, actually the Andrew WK strips are what hooked me um, 
there's a lot of twisted humor falls right in line with the white ninja comics or with Perry Bible Fellowship it's not as bright and cheerful as PBF uh, it's but it, it's it's dark and has a lot of contempt for the common man um, I find it a little wordy at times but I have to admit I did um, laugh out loud once I started going through the archives and uh, well when I laughed it made me cough and when I cough uh, I hurt so thanks Cammy Knoxville for making me hurt uh, I want to apologize to everybody for the sound quality of this spot for this segment. I know uh, y'all are pretty sensitive uh, when it comes to the quality of the recordings. Um, again, I probably sound like I'm in a tin can. You'll have to excuse me this week. Uh, but check it out. Lucid TV. Lucid-TV.com Hope uh, I can get lucid. And so, for Around Comics, uh, you know, I'm Jeremy W. Mullins. Jeremy Mullins is a professor of sequential art at the Savannah College of Art and Design. You can find more about the school and its programs of study by going to www.scad.edu. This portion of Around Comics is brought to you by Ape Entertainment. And available for order in the February issue of Previews is Bizarre New World. The critically acclaimed series returns on a new prestige one-shot. After the first miniseries, the cat is out of the bag. The worldwide population suddenly gains the ability to fly. A desperate phone call from his son forces Paul Crutcher to run the gauntlet of insanity to get to Arizona. But with chaos ripping across the planet and everyone airborne, the journey through California won't be easy. Find out why AintItCoolNews.com called Bizarre New World one of the best new comics of 2007. Pre-order your copy of Bizarre New World, Population Explosion, from the February issue of Previews. And to purchase the original three-issue miniseries, head to your local comic shop or visit our friends at Ape Comics by going to www.apecomics.com. Welcome to Answer Man. It's the portion of the show where a very tired Tom has to climb a building of truth while swatting away pesty biplanes of questions. I'm very tired. I'm extremely tired. Uh, I've been working a lot lately. I didn't work. You know, my heart's not in it 100%. Just, you know, in the, in the interest of telling you guys the truth, I'm, I'm a little down. I'm a little down, a little lonely this morning. Uh, it's cold in my apartment. Uh, I had to go to Starbucks to coffee. I don't like Starbucks. They're so tired. I couldn't be bothered to walk to Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, so I, I, I bit the bullet and I went to Starbucks and it, it was a mess in there. I don't know what's going on. Uh, people getting sco- the wrong scones and complaining I can't get a goddamn coffee for the life of me. Everyone's angry. It was just it was a bad way to start a morning. And so I'm taking that negativity and I'm going to bring it here. I'm going to cast it through the internet at you. But, uh, you know, I'll try and reel it in a little bit. Uh, this week, I've introduced a new element to Answer Man. And that's called audio. As in someone has left an audio question, two questions. And I'm going to try and answer both of them. Uh, so let's go straight to the audio. Audio, begin now. Hey, this is my aunt on the forum and uh, the, um, the Fixes Hideout podcast. Uh, this is a call for the answer man. I uh, want him to answer this question. Since you're going to speak about the... Um, what you call it, the uh, the Legion next week, 
answer this question about them. Uh, how many different incarnations have there been, and who were the uh, writers of each incarnation? All right. Thanks a lot, and enjoy the show. Take care. Bye-bye. Ah, uh, the dreaded Legion question, the one I've been fearing uh, since I threw out, you know, the idea of covering stuff and asking me questions. I knew someone was going to ask me about the Legion. And the funny thing is, I always get a feeling when people ask me about the Legion, they are Legion fans. And it's like a test. It's like a nest of vipers waiting to leap on me when I don't give exactly the right answer. So, here it goes. Yeah, I, I, I'm this. I'm just going to whip out what I know. It's not going to be co- completely comprehensive. It couldn't. It, that would be an entire show in and of itself. But, you know, I want to give a little bit of a highlight of the Legion of Superheroes. I've always sort of enjoyed the concept uh, you gotta remember that um, these characters are the sort of teenage friends of Superboy, and such as that, uh, their origin was sort of as backup characters in uh, Superboy stories. They'd appear from time to time, and as they became more popular, they sort of developed a you know a backup feature, and they were always sort of around, and they sort of moved around from book to book. They were you know in adventure comics for a while. Uh, finally, in the 70s, I believe they got their own series, and that was sort of uh, you know. My favorite era is actually the you know the Paul Levitz era. The current bigwig at uh, DC was a very good Legion of Superheroes writer. Uh, you also got to remember right before that you had Jim Shooter, who was 14 years old. <laughs> he was sending in uh, complete layouts with uh, you know the word balloons already uh, drawn in, and uh, they were they were hiring him you know to do that sort of stuff. So uh, I mean those old you know 60s, 70s stuff I've always enjoyed quite a bit. As you move into the 80s. Uh, you have your Keith Giffen, who I always really associate with the Legion, was uh, involved in that. And uh, continuity-wise, all that stuff sort of fits together. The problem is, once you get to Crisis, and you got to figure out a way. There, there wasn't a Superboy, really, for a while. So how does that history fit in? Um, so they kind of docked around it a little bit for, you know, for a while. And they didn't quite reboot. But, you know, they did what everyone does, and they find a way around it, and because you could call it kind of a soft reboot. Uh, they did a, a five years later jump forward uh, that Giffen did. Uh, you know, a lot of, you know, one <laughs> sort of like one year later. Just a chance to, uh, you know, sort of start with a clean slate. Uh, they didn't really have like a really completely hard reboot until Zero Hour, which really messed up the future <laughs> of the DC Universe. So the Legion had to, uh, had to deal with that and... You know, during this time, we had um, Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning were working on it. and I, I wasn't a huge fan of all that stuff. I thought it was very well done, but uh, it was kind of lost, I think, a little bit once it uh, sort of got rid of the Superboy element. Uh, then, in 2005, they relaunched Legion of Superheroes again. So there's another reboot um, written by Mark Ray- Wade, art by Barry Kitson. I love the first 12 issues of that series, I thought it really nailed home the concept of, uh, you know, kids fighting against what they believe was the corrupt world of adults. And that's always the beauty of the Legion of Superheroes, is when it's pure to what it is, it's about banding together with your friends to, uh, against the whole world that's lined up against you, whether if you're a kid and it's adults, or you're, uh... (laughs) A rebel and it's the police because you know there's always a big uh, element in the legion stories about the uh, science police you know being a problem uh 
And I don't want to sort of whitewash Legion, pretend that there isn't a bunch of continuity issues within Legion of Superheroes, but I would like to offer the fact that I think it's a strength of the concept, is that because the future is always malleable, you can always have a different Legion. You can just kind of start over, you know? Um, the basic templates for the characters are there. You know, I love Brainiac 5 is one of my favorite characters, and I love how um, there's a couple of different versions out there, and that's all right. Um, you pick and choose. The writers pick and choose sometimes. You know, we've recently sort of seen the uh, the return of the uh, you know pre-Crisis Legion kind of uh, in the Lightning Saga and the JLAJSA. They haven't really gone into the specifics of you know is it really the pre-Crisis Legion? What's going on? Um, and I'm fine with that. I guess I guess I've given you no answers. You know, this was my fumbling attempt to talk a little bit about the Legion. Uh, you could do a whole show about the Legion. Uh, they have such a long history, and they've been, you know, so closely tied to Superman, you know, the granddaddy of all the characters. So I've always suggest that uh, if this anything, any of this sounds interesting, if you like any of those writers, check out the Legion of Superheroes. You can get a lot of the back issues for very cheap, you know, in dollar bins and 50 cent bins. I've gotten a ton of the Paul Levitt stuff that way, which I've always really enjoyed. Um, and now we have a second question, and let's see if I can not fumble my way through this. Uh, once again, audio begin now. Hey, this is Ma'at again calling for the Answer Man. Uh, just wanted to uh, respond to episode 166 uh, qu uh, statements about uh, the age of the people who were asking the questions about the uh, Teen Titans year one. Uh, I happen to be 42 years old and believe that continuity is important, even though I uh, do accept your point about opening your heart. Um, continuity is important to a degree uh, in the sense that people have experienced these things, have these uh, particular memories of the stories in their heads when they read these new takes on these the superheroes, and uh, they expect to at least uh, have that acknowledged in terms of the writing of the uh, reimagining. Uh, it shouldn't be just chucked out with the baby, uh, you know, the bathwater and the baby. So that's why people get in a huff. I know you understand that, but, uh, you know, it's always good to remind you also, even though you reminded us that continuity should be relaxed a little bit. Uh, it is important, especially to those who have read those stories and enjoy those stories. All right? Thanks a lot for your answers. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Mod, you glorious bastard. You had to go and ask me about continuity again. Uh, I, I accept that the fact that, yeah, continuity is sort of, it's important to people. It's sort of what brings them back to the books. But you also have to think... It's not like in Teen Titans Year One, Robin strangled and killed a hooker when he was 13. He used I am, you know, and you gotta, you got. There's a line to be drawn somewhere where stuff like that has got nothing to do with the character. Uh, it's it's the stuff around it. It's the opportunity to tell a certain type of story. That's still Robin. I didn't see anything in that story that went against what I thought Robin was. You know, and I didn't see anything that was outrageous about any of the characters. They, you know, that's that's how they acted. Uh, I think it, when you get caught up in the trappings, you get caught up in uh, oh, why aren't they wearing 80s clothing? You know, that, I mean, that's not nothing to do with story. 
that's uh, that's the the ephemeral. That's the the peripheral stuff to the story. And you gotta be careful, you know. Um, I suggest people read uh, the newest uh, Keith Giffen column on Comic Book Resources. Uh, because he talks a little bit about continuity, and he says you know, continuity can be strangling. What people want is consistency. You want Robin to be consistent. You want Dick Grayson to sort of be treated consistently. But that's <laughs> you don't necessarily people shouldn't necessarily have a fit if he's uh, using instant messaging. And I think there's there's a line, you know. I think there's a point to where you gotta let those things go. Uh, they're not trapped in a certain time period. And uh, I don't know. I just I feel like people sort of like take ownership of the characters and feel like every I love the Teen Titans and every Teen Titans story has to be for me. That's not true. I mean, there's not every story is written for you know you, not you specifically, my you know, but you whoever you are the fan of that's complaining about whatever you know. Not every story is written for you, and that's okay. There's still ones that are written for you, and uh, just relax. That's all I'm saying. That's all it goes. I'm not saying they should go and change it. That uh, you know, the Flash uh, was a meth dealer when he was 13. And that, I mean, that doesn't make sense. Can he use instant messaging? I think that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. Uh, well, now that I fumbled my way through probably the longest answer man yet, I will sign off. Good day, people. Enjoy your comic book reading, and I will speak to you next week. Each month, writer Will Pfeiffer entertains us with Catwoman. Every week, he educates us about what's coming out in DVDs. Here is Will with his new DVD releases and his cult DVD pick of the week. This week's top DVD release is Martin Scorsese presents Val Luton, a smart, sophisticated documentary about the legendary horror producer narrated and produced by a legendary director. If your knowledge of horror movies begins with Saw and ends with Saw 4, you really need to see this disc. Back in the 1940s, Luton proved that less is more in a series of low-budget, high-quality horror classics like Cat People, I Walk With a Zombie, The Seventh Victim, and The Leopard Man. This doc covers all those movies with plenty of clips and expert analysis. Once you've seen it, you'll probably want to check them out for yourself. Thankfully, almost all of Luton's movies are on DVD. Also out this week is the sixth season of Curb Your Enthusiasm, the hilarious HBO sitcom from Larry David, the cranky co-creator of Seinfeld. This is arguably arguably the strongest season in the show's history, with Larry inviting a family of displaced hurricane victims into his home, giving Ted Danson a book of freaks for his birthday, and, in the most shocking and funniest development, finally splitting up with his long-suffering wife Cheryl. If you miss the bitter laughs of Seinfeld at its best, check out Curb. And, because it's on HBO, there's plenty of swearing, too. This week's cult DVD pick is Tapeheads, a very funny 1988 spoof of the early days of video, starring a very young John Cusack and Tim Robbins. They play Ivan and Josh, a couple of would-be filmmakers who start a music video business and get involved with a conspiracy involving, well, hell, the plot doesn't really matter. It's the oddball jokes and strange character bits that make this movie worth watching. Soul Train host Don Cornelius damn near steals the show as smooth-talking record executive Mo Fuzz, and the boys' hip-hop ad for Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles may be the best three minutes in the entire history of 1980s movies. Be sure to check it out. 
I'm Will Pfeiffer, and this is the DVD report for Around Comics. You can find Will's written reviews at the Rockford Register Star by visiting go.rrstar.com and going to the entertainment section. You can also visit Will's blog at willpiper.com. And remember to read Catwoman every month. Writer Jerry Duggan first came to our attention as part of the creative team with Brian Posehn and Rick Remender and Hilary Barda and Michelle Madsen on The Last Christmas. Well, since then, Jerry's been kind of a, a reoccurring guest on the show. He helped us with our, our Frank Miller uh, retrospective, and, and we've kept a pretty good uh, relationship with Jerry going over the last uh, last year or so. Well, he has a new project coming out from Image called Infinite Horizon, and I wanted to drop him a line and see how the project was going and, and have him tell folks a little bit about it. Well, we got to talking, and, and before we got to Infinite Horizon, we spent a lot of time talking about what's going on in L.A., which is where he lives, and of course, the the topic of the day is the WGA strike. So, we we started our conversation really talking about the strike and, and what's going on in L.A. And, and how it's going to start affecting our entertainment here in the not-so-distant future. Uh, you may notice in one part of the, the conversation, we talk about the Director's Guild, and uh, just be aware that this interview was recorded before the Directors Guild came to their contract agreement. So uh, here's a, actually a pretty, a pretty long talk, but uh, uh, an interesting one, I, I hope, for you about the WGA strike and uh, Jerry and Phil Noto's new project, Infinite Horizon, which you should certainly be checking out. Uh, so uh, here is uh, my conversation with Jerry Duggan. It's really taking its toll on, you know, uh, on you know, certainly my friends and, you know, uh, my comrades and stuff, it's just, it's a long time to be out of work. Um, you know, but there are instances where, you know, writers can write non-struck work. It gets a little complicated, but, you know, not everyone is an NBC sort of gig. And, and, you know, that is, you know, a problem, but, you know, the WGA will have to organize, you know, those non-union shops after they get through the strike, I think. But, you know, so not everyone's out of work, but obviously anyone on a, on a union show or a big network show or anyone that was working for um, a company that had a, a that was a WGA signatory is, is on a, is on strike now. Sure. You know, I, the, the, the writers have the moral high ground and, um, you know, they're winning the PR battle. I, I think the thing that the, the media moguls are counting on is just they're counting on people you know, either facing bankruptcy or, or going what's called financial court, mm-hmm. which basically allows a writer to sort of go back to work for, you know, strictly financial reasons with no penalty. Um, there hasn't really been too much of that yet. Sort of a unique position because I'm, 
I'm not a WGA member. Um, most of the TV that I've written for has been for, for basic cable for shows that <clears throat> were were not uh, produced by WGA signatory companies. Um, but you know, Brian and I, uh, Brian Pussain, my writing partner, on last Christmas we started to get a little traction with our last Christmas movie, mm-hmm. and it was optioned by a producer uh, before the strike. And so when the strike's up, you know, we're, we're going to get back to that. And as soon as that happens, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be a must-join, you know, and I'll do so happily. Um, I've done some work with the WGA in the past in terms of uh, organizing and sort of some grassroots campaigns. And, um, I was, you know, supporting. I was actually walking from the picket line some of the time, some of the days that America's top, next top model was on strike. <laughs> sure. Um, talked with uh with mark sable and robbie rodriguez who um uh doing stuff for for oni and 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 image and they're both out in la as well and say it's it's trickling down even to like uh i think mark said his uh his hairdresser had mentioned that the uh the strike is affecting their business well it's interesting i mean um you know even the starbucks in this area you know are down like 30 40 percent depending on the exact location but the thing that I don't know that people realize is that there are different reasons for wanting the strike to go on. It's strange, you know, there's probably only six or eight men that sort of control the fate of the strike, and for, the, you know, everyone at Fox, they're very happy that the strike is happening because they're the least affected. They have American Idol coming back now, and they want everyone else in the crapper. Um, there could be other companies that want their their competition weak because they're they want to buy them out. Nobody really knows. Everyone basically has an agenda, and even the moguls have are could be operating at cross purposes. So I'm very I'm I couldn't be happier that Letterman made a side deal with the Guild. I hope all of these producers that want to uh, agree to give the Guild a fair shake. I hope they all get side deals. I hope my producer, if he's able to. You know, uh, get going like that would be great. I don't know if that's possible, but like any any side deals that can be made, I think are fantastic. Get as many writers back to work as possible, and really put the pressure on the people that are controlling this to get back to the table because they walked away. Uh, I, I can't tell. It's very strange. I can't tell what the rest of the country thinks because I sort of am reading uh, Deadline Hollywood Daily, which is written uh, by a LA Weekly reporter named Nikki Fink, who. I think honestly, the uh, the rest of the country, because we're, we're not there, when people will start to really take. Now, it, mo- most people know that there is a strike, but they haven't felt the effects of it yet, and it's not going to be until the the rush of reality TV and the lack of dramatic or comedic and and original programming. So, you know, honestly, I think a lot of the country doesn't even really feel the effects of it yet. So. Right. 
it's it, there's going to be quite a bit of lag time on that and uh, and I think that's what a, a lot of the a lot of the you know like you said the moguls are are banking on that that there's going to be a 6 month lag time before uh the general populace starts to get a little itchy about it yeah i think that's about right you know we we'll, we have the moral high ground i feel uh, i think most people do we also have youtube <laughs> you know <laughs> in terms Communicating directly with people, the Daily Show writers have done some really great. They put some really great material up. Our Fred Armisen of Senate Live did a very funny sketch that was painfully true. Um, you know, about, uh, the strike um, that's available up on YouTube. I hope people understand that. You know, that it's not. It's funny. I saw an article: Millionaires March Down Hollywood Boulevard. The tone of the article it was online somewhere it was very against what the writers are doing. And you know what? Most people, even the people that are out of work understand or whose show has been put on hiatus because of this, they understand that this is a big fight that, you know, TV, in a few years, they may just be, you may just be doing an internet show on television. And so, I, you know, we'll see what happens. It could get really interesting if the actors and the directors go on strike. It is an interesting time for entertainment all around with with internet programming and you know the whole appointment television and DVD which yeah. is is what a lot of this is all centered around and entertainment is is changing right now and there's a lot of dollars at stake and that's this this strike is that's what it's about it's about the future of how people buy sure. their entertainment and i think you know for us, there's a lot of talk. It's funny because their studios are really positioning themselves to be the next record company. It's mm-hmm. not going to happen overnight, but a lot of the talk on the line, uh, you know, uh, when I've gone down there is about guys that are networking going, hey, why can't I do this? Why can't I own this? Do this, put it on the net. Well, you know, the answer is you can do it. No one's stopping you. And, um, you know, the, the content may go the way of Super Deluxe or Funny or Die or... You know, guys are like, maybe I'll do this as a comic book. I'll, I, you know, I've been wanting to write something. You know, and and you know, Joss Whedon and and uh, David Milch. Uh, David Milch has some really interesting. I, I guess you call them lectures. Almost, they're really just sort of him sort of thinking out loud about the writer as an entrepreneur. And and that's that's how I feel like making comic books. You know, this is something that we do because we love it, and because you know, it's not a wonderful business model for it. None of us. That image, uh, you know, are really getting, we're not millionaires out of this, you know, like Rick and I and, and Ivan Brandon and Matt Fraction and, and Brian, you know, we're making comics because we love comic books. And there's something really satisfying about writing something and, and owning it and not um, get, taking any notes. Wait, you mean you're not calling me from your yacht? <laughs> yeah, not, not yet. <laughs> I'm calling you from my inflatable dinghy. <laughs> the WGA strike has had kind of an interesting little impact on on the comics industry. You know, we we'd started to see the the crossover of of folks that were coming from TV and movies and writing comic books and and the back and forth. And now that those ties have kind of been established, now we're starting to see because of the WGA strike, some folks coming back to comics or some folks that had been spending a lot of time writing TV and movies now have, have freed up their, their schedules to write more comics. And I don't know if that's, if that's a good or a bad thing. It's, 
Yeah, I'm not sure either, but I know you're right. There definitely is. And part of it is just, you know, part of it is, is just for guys, you know, that want to you know, make sure that they have the rent paid. You know, they're trying to think a couple of months down the line. And, and part of it, you know, might just be like, well, hey, I'm going to pick it for four hours and then I'm going to come home and I'm going to write something for four hours and I'm not going to write struck work. Mm-hmm. I might as well write comics. Sure. You know, that's not struck work. Here's something that I can enjoy. You know, for a lot of the guys, like the big name guys, they're doing it, I think, because you know, they get a kick out of it. And, uh, you know, who am I to stop them? I'm not necessarily so sure it's such a great thing if something starts but doesn't get finished, you know, because it's strictly not wonderful for comics to kind of have somebody looking for a second issue that never comes or a third issue that never comes. But if it's done right, I, I, I think it's great. Anything that puts a comic book in somebody's hand. One guy that that I think is coming from the right place and was already doing comics, but also doing stuff um, for TV and, and like Mark Guggenheim. You know, I'm really glad sure. a guy like that has comics that are going to be there while this is going on because he was already writing comics before all this started. We had seen what you had done with with Brian with uh, you know the Simpsons stuff with Treehouse of Horror, which was you know really fun, but probably even more so with The Last Christmas. But you, you have Infinite horizon what you're working on right now that is you know hopefully paying some bills but you had already kind of built up some equity in in the comic industry that way yeah i you know i hope i hope so i hope um you know certainly i i feel very fortunate in that you know my first comic i i got uh, you know my my safety net was you know working with, with brian and, and rick you know, Rick is an old pro now, even at a young age. But you know, and, and now this this new book, uh, you know, I'm working with Bill Noto. I'm a very lucky guy. You know, I sort of have you know swung from one coattail to another. <laughs> Well, you know, I, I I look at Infinite Horizon, and you're talking Rick Remender, um, who yeah. um, who who drew the, the Last Christmas, and and Rick is Rick, Rick's one of those really amazing multi talented guys. You know, he can draw, he can ink, he can write. He's he's all yeah. over the place, and he's just an idea machine. And and you were a part of that group with Last Christmas with Rick and Hillary Barda and Brian Prosane and 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 that whole group, but. Um, Infinite Horizon, as I'm as I'm looking at it and read it, this is kind of, I mean, your first book that's you, and, and Phil Noto is a big part of that book, but this is really kind of your first book, I feel, and it's it is, I mean, it's not a funny ha ha book. Uh, that no, yeah, <laughs> that was actually the most nerve wracking part was that, you know, I'm happy to, you know, write a joke that bombs and just sort of go, oh well, the next one will will be funny, but uh, yeah, that was a little nerve wracking. You know, uh, I'll be honest, and, until I uh, read some of the reviews where people under, understood it and got it and, and thought it was done well, that, you know, I had a couple of sleepless nights running up to the, the debut of the book, but I was uh, really very happy and, and very you know, gratified that, that uh, people have really enjoyed it so far on, on, on a whole. I say, too, I was friends with Phil through my buddy uh, Dave Mandel, and the last thing I wanted to do was sort of you know, drag him into something that people were not going to like. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it was a little nerve-wracking. But, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've been really happy. Uh, and, and you're, you know, it's been a, a real pleasure to sort of uh, try flexing some of those other muscles that I, I haven't really been able to do in in any work in in the comic book world or in the in the TV world. You know, on basic cable, you're really, uh, you know, that 
you know, but with with Infinite Horizon, I, I think that you you've taken a lot of risks, and I can certainly respect that. In that, you know, a you were you were known as kind of working on on comedy books, and and this is definitely not a comedy book. And at the first the first glance, if you were to walk into a comic shop and open this up, you you see soldiers and it's a desert setting. So okay, this is a book about Iraq. Is it a is it a protest book? I don't know. And it's it's neither one of those. You you've and I guess we should finally tell people what what Infinite Horizon is about. And it's it's a basically a near future retelling of the odyssey through the the story of 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 a soldier in the middle east was that yeah. kind of how you would describe it yeah absolutely it's a it's a man you know i look phil and i have always loved westerns it's a man it's a soldier with no name that just wants to get home yeah. and we tried to just stay really close to that core idea that that there's a great love uh, there, there's he, he's got a, a wife and child at home, that he, and he just wants to get back there. And so this book, I I, I tried to just sort of a, um, look down the line at, at at a lot of breakdowns. For me, I'm always thinking like, what's broken down in the future? Like I I know some, I have some pretty ideas about things that are have broken down that you know are hinted at, and I like that people uh, think one went wrong or something else went wrong but the truth is that in in this book a lot of little things kind of broke down to bring us to this point mm-hmm. and you know hopefully uh, you know the the reviews um that i read and the people that i talked to have said like hey you know it's kind of scary uh that like you could it's not so far out it's not this crazy piece of sci-fi that <laughs> that, that somebody yeah. can't get home from the middle east you know it's boils really high and a lot of the governments and people around the world that the U.S. has kind of propped up, you know, nothing lasts forever. Well, sure. So, you, you look at you look at the United States. Um, what are we? Two thousand eight. If you if you go back, you know, nine years in time and transport someone to today and say this is the world. I mean, that that's a huge jump for someone to. Yeah. Yeah. You know, absolutely. You know, so to um, maybe transport ten years in the future from now and say, hey, you know, this is we're in a world where you know what it may take ten years to get back home. That's not that big of a jump. No, it's uh, you know, sadly, no, it's not. And you know, I hope that the political stuff in the book is left, um, you know, up to the reader because I, mm-hmm. I have had not really had too many complaints that it's it's one way or another, but. You know, I have my own views on it, and you know, I was reading about. Um, I think it's stop loss is what uh, it's referred to as, where soldiers, you know, think they're getting out, and and then, you know, to keep the the numbers of uh, servicemen uh, at the level that, that we require right now, that they they are not getting out. There's mm-hmm. a provision in the contracts and the in their military service that they have to go right back. I. You know, I was also reading things about you know, uh, soldiers that are coming home to inadequate medical care and then the sort of the suicide numbers that are being swept under the rug. And I just tried to think, like, how are we failing them? And then also what is just kind of breaking down in our society? Like, people talk about trying to break dependence on foreign oil. and I don't think that there's been a lot of success about that. And uh, so, 
satellites in email too. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, all of that to me, we depend greatly on this technology, and when it when it doesn't work, things really grind to a halt. Absolutely. I, I've seen that in television, oh. live television from Attack of the Show at, at G4. You know, if you lose a truck <laughs> uh, out in the field, a satellite truck, like you don't have a feed, and then there's nothing on the air, so you better have a backup plan. You better have a tape package back at the place to sort of run to. And, you know, it's just about, like, you know, things breaking down finally. And, and, and to me, the disasters were sort of more economic in, in the infinite horizon, where you just can't pay for the things that you're paying for anymore because there's no money. Political will to sort of change things. And so, you know, it's a pessimistic book, but at the core, too, I think in the end it's going to pay off as a, as a love story. You know, I, 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 I'm not getting, I'm not getting the pessimism of it. Uh, um, so maybe, maybe I'm just, uh, living in a, a fairly pessimistic world. It, it's not that big of a contrast, I guess. But, uh, I've been, uh, I've been on this kick lately of watching these, um, 1970s dystopian films. Um, I just watched uh, uh, Soylent Green and uh, and A Boy and His Dog this week. Oh yeah, and I watched A Boy and His Dog last year. Yeah, and so Infinite Horizon is actually kind of a an interesting little companion for those. Is that as as things break down, I think that you start to see how strong people can be. And and that's what I see with the right. captain and especially his wife in your book is that these are people that no matter how crazy the world gets, they get stronger. And that's that, that was important to us, too, especially that she remained strong as a, as a character and as a mother and as sort of the center of the storm that's going to you know engulf them at home. Um, and, you know, obviously we have more we, we dedicate more pages to his story. Mm-hmm. So he's going to go through his own sort of trials where he sort of is able to be broken and then remade. Um, so that when he does return home, that uh, there's you know that they're able to to get back together. She's been very much a rock. I mean, you can you can dedicate more pages to his story, but I think that the times that we see his wife and and his son, I think can can be even more powerful because they are these these small moments in between his quest that we're seeing, and I think that they can they can really rise to be these peaks in the story that that kind of keep reminding you why he is trying to get home. Yeah. I mean, and hopefully that's very, it's very grounded, and and that's always that should always be in your mind. Mm-hmm. That this is a, everything that's happening, everything that he's doing is just just to get home. And you know, he has a few different ways. There's, you know, he finds a little more success later on in the story when he when it's not just sort of brute force, which has always been his way. So he's he's out, he's going to be operating on a, on a learning curve uh, as well. One of the things that I that I wanted to ask is because um, um, I'm loving the story through two issues, and um, you know we 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 talked about the WGA strike and and, and how entertainment's kind of changing, and we've we've been talking you know the last few months about how comics are changing and how the industry is changing, and you know I look at a book like Infinite Horizon that that could have you know very easily been a graphic novel, 
and I wanted yeah. to, to kind of ask you why you and Phil decided to go the, the route of single issues on, on Infinite Horizon. We definitely went back and forth about how best to present the story. Um, there was really only two ways, you know, go with the floppies and make a, a larger uh, collection of them or um, make an original graphic novel. And I, what it really came down to was, um, even though, you know, at least in my position, you just sort of want to get to the trade. You know, you sell enough to hopefully uh, cover your costs so that when you get to the trade, you're in a position to make some money mm-hmm. um, to get the story out there. But the, but the what, it, what ended up happening was I just sort of decided in the end that it might help the trade that there already is hopefully a little bit of buzz or understanding or uh, something out there so that you're not just dropping the trade cold. I, I, I I'm not trying to sort of sell any the same thing to somebody twice. You know, I don't want somebody that bought the floppies to then go feel like they had to go buy the trade. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, but, you know, to be able to sell out the first issue like we did was just fantastic. I was really happy about it. And to have those reviews, that puts, a, that puts it in people's mind that this might be something that they want to check out. And I've seen it a little. I've seen guys say, hey, this, I've looked at the preview online, the first issues at Newsarama, you know, if somebody wants to go and check it out. And, you know, some of the comments in that thread just say, hey, I'm there when the trade comes out. That's just how I like reading things. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't begrudge that, you know, it, but it does, when you support the floppy, it obviously makes it easier to sort of get out there, you know, to survive to the trade. Sure. Now, now, now is there is there is there any question that that and and this happens with a lot of books is that you know if the if the sales numbers drop and you guys sold out so I I I don't think there's any chance of this with with Infinite Horizon but was there a point where it's like wow if we don't sell really well for our first couple we not we may not be able to publish every issue in this. Uh, it it could happen. I mean, luckily it's not going to happen to us. But it, yeah, absolutely. I mean. You know, it also depends what your production costs are. You know, Phil um, is so talented and Phil's taking care of so much of the visual look of the book. He is a penciler, an inker, and, and a colorist. Yeah, that um, helps. So that we're able to sort of split those duties down the middle. And, you know, by the time it gets to Ed, we both, you know, I, I'm, I'm, it's, it's kind of strange. I'm writing it as more than I've ever written on anything, really. I'm, I'm doing a lot of drafts, and then I rewrite it after Phil does his uh, work to sort of see if I can improve upon any of the boxes or balloons. But yeah, not everything gets to get collected. Um, there may not be a demand, A, or B, you may just be kind of tapped out from you know paying people or, or the printing or shipping costs or any number of things. And so, you know, it, it, it was easier for me to sell image, to be like, hey, we would like to do a, a limited series. We, didn't, we never asked to do a graphic.
San Diego. I appreciate everybody, uh, you know, trying the book, and uh, you know, thank you so much for spending your time with me to uh, you know, help me promote it. Oh. Um, I'm glad that, that you know, glad that you. I'm glad they enjoyed it, and I hope uh, that everyone else does too. You know, it's a uh, it's a labor of love uh, for Phil and I. We both have our other jobs and responsibilities, and then we're up late nights uh, doing this. Uh, sure. You know, it's just been fun. It's been a real pleasure to, to work with Phil. He um, he always manages to um, to surprise me, uh, even when it looks exactly as, as written. I don't really know how to explain that, except to say it's either a color choice here or you know a, an, a, an angle on a shot somewhere else. But uh, it's just really uh, been very gratifying. definitely a name that uh that we uh we have on our radar any any time that we see a uh, jerry duggan on on a comic we're gonna check it out and, and we always man well, i was really nice to hear i really appreciate it oh uh, you know you, you haven't done anything bad yet so we, can, we can't we can't we can't we can't vilify you and hang you on uh, on the cross yet so um but whenever you do we, we will when i deserve it you yeah. just pick up you got it. We'll finish up here, and uh, but but this won't be the last time that we talk. Um, you know, you yeah, please do. I, I always enjoy our conversations and keep up the work on the show. It's a really wonderful show. It it, it you know raises the uh, discussion of comic books to a uh, just a, a really wonderful level. Um, you know, it's, it's always great to, to hear you guys on the show. So uh, I thank you again for having me on, and I look forward to next time. And a big thanks to uh, Jerry. It's always a pleasure talking with him. So uh, please check out Infinite Horizon. I think it's one of the uh, more unique books on the shelves today. It's uh, definitely telling a different story than you're going to find in a lot of other comics. So good stuff from he and Phil Noto. Let's get you ready for the week ahead. Here is uh, Collected Comics Library's Chris Marshall with his Trade 5 going over this week's new trade paperback and collected edition releases. Hey everybody, it's time for this Monday's Trade 5. and The list this week is going to be pretty short and sweet. I'm only going to go over the new releases. I'm not going to go over any news this week. If you're looking for news, come by my website over at the CCL. And I'm blogging just about every single weekday, so I'll get you caught up on all the links over there, news and information regarding hardcovers and collected editions. So let's look at DC Comics this week. Batman, The Man Who Laughs, the hardcover, collecting the graphic novel, The Man Who Laughs, by Ed Brubaker. This collection also includes Detective Comics 784 through 786, which is a murder mystery guest starring the Green Lantern, Alan Scott, my favorite Green Lantern. This book will sell for $20. Another Batman hardcover is out this week, Batman Falls Faces, and this collects Detective Comics 787, so one storyline into the next right here. This also collects Batman 588 through 590 and Wonder Woman 160 and 161 and Batman Gotham City Secret Files. This book also sells for 20 bucks. Moving on, we've got Outsiders Checkmate Checkout 
the trade, collecting Checkmate 13 through 15 and Outsiders 47 through 49 for $15. Manhunter Volume 4 unleashed the trade, collecting 24 through 30 of that series for $18. And a book that I'm sure will be talked about in many different circles, Incognegro, the hardcover for mature readers from Vertigo Comics in D.C. for $20. Over at Marvel, we've got the New Avengers Illuminati premiere hardcover, collecting one through five of that series for 20 bucks. X-Men Endangered Species, the hardcover, collecting X-Men Endangered Species one-shot and chapters one through 17 of that whole storyline for $20. Young Avengers, the hardcover, collecting Young Avengers one through 12 and the Young Avengers special for $30. New Avengers Transformers gets a trade, collecting New Avengers Transformers one through four for $11. Not sure if anybody actually read that story. Or even if it fits into Civil War, right? <laughs> uh, next up, we've got Uncanny X-Men Rise and Fall of the Shear Empire. A must-read for any X-Men fan. Collecting Uncanny X-Men 475 through 486 for $30. And a second printing of Marvel Masterworks Silver Surfer Volume 1. This is the variant Volume 15. This collects Silver Surfer 1 through 6. And the Fantastic Four Annual Number Five for fifty-five bucks. What's interesting to point out about this book is, you may want to go out and find the Silver Surfer Omnibus. I think you can still find it. At least you can check on online places like eBay for sure. But what the Omnibus will not include is this Fantastic Four Annual Number Five, which I think it is actually the very first solo story of the Silver Surfer, if I'm not mistaken. In any event, it is included in these masterworks and not included in the Omnibus, so buyers beware. Over at Dark Horse, we've got Predator Omnibus Volume 2 for 25 bucks, and we also have a neat little book out this week that I like to call Star Wars, The Knights of the Old Republic Number 25. This is Vector Part 1, a storyline that's going to go through all the Star Wars titles over Dark Horse throughout the entire year. And yeah, I know I deal only with trade paperbacks, but I'm a big Star Wars comic book guy, and so I had to mention it here. I'm sure Sal and Chris will be talking about this when they do the new releases of the monthly books that are going to be coming out. In any event, that is it for my report this week. Uh, for Around Comics, I'm Chris Marshall, Collected Comics Library. Thank you kindly, Chris. Remember, you can check out the Collected Comics Library by going to collectedcomicslibrary.com, the aforementioned Comics Podcast Network, and know that nobody knows Collected Editions quite like Chris Marshall. Well, let's move on to the single-issue releases. Here's our own Tom Caters with his highlighted list of what is coming out this Wednesday. Good morning, welcome to the new releases for Wednesday, January 30th. Let's go to the board. From DC Comics, we have Action Comics, number 861. Uh, the continuation of the Superman in the Legion of Superheroes story by Jeff Johns and Gary Frank. I've been enjoying it so far, so I'm eagerly awaiting the next installment. We have the wrap-up of Black Adam, The Dark Age. Uh, Peter Tomasi, Doug Mankey, uh, story about Black Adam. I dropped it after the first one. I had a little bit of Black Adam burnout, but I am curious to see sort of what the uh, critical reaction to that is once it's done. Uh, new issue of Green Lantern, number 20, Lantern, 
I like how I said that. Green Lantern, uh, number 27 coming out. Uh, big fan of the Jeff Johns run, so I'm eagerly anticipating that. We got The Spirit, number 13. This is going to be a uh, mixed issue. Various artists, various writers, all dealing with the femme fatales of the spirit. So it'll be a bit bittersweet uh, with the end of the Darwin Cook run, but uh, hopefully, you know, we pick up hot and heavy once again. Uh, from Marvel Comics, we have Captain America, number 34, by Ed Brubaker and Steve Epting. It's the uh, new Captain America is in this issue. The one with the gun that caused oh so much hubbub. Uh, we also have, coming out, number uh, Fantastic Four, number 553, the end of the Dwayne McDuffie Pelletier run, which I've enjoyed a lot. Uh, the next issue after that will be the Mark Miller, Brian Hitch. So if you've enjoyed the McDuffie, this is it for you. Uh, we also have Mighty Avengers number 8 coming out. That is so much quicker than I would ever have anticipated. Uh, we had New Avengers Annual number two coming out. Uh, this, of course, is dealing with the hood, which is, I mean, God, so many issues with the hood. But I've been enjoying it so far, so I hope it keeps up a tradition of fine annuals that we've been getting lately. We have the premiere of Spider-Man with Great Power, writer by David, written by David Lapham. Lapham, I'm sure I've pronounced it wrong one of the two ways. And Tony Harris doing the art. Uh, yet another Spider-Man story for all you Spider-Man lovers out there. We also have, coming out from Vertigo, well, you know, the end. The end is here, my friends. Why the Last Man has reached the last issue. It's Why the Last Man number 60. It's probably too late for you to jump onto this series right now, so, you know, I'd wait for the trade if I were you, if you haven't started yet. It's, uh, it's the conclusion. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm a trade behind, so don't tell me anything. Don't email me any info. Uh, from the world of independence, we have Black Summer number five uh, from Avatar. It's probably one of my favorite Warren Ellis things that are going on right now, so I'm looking forward to it. We have the premiere of Narcopolis, written by Jamie Delano, uh, famous for his work on Hellblazer with artist Jeremy Rock, another Avatar book. Uh, it looks pretty good. Usually the Avatar stuff uh, has a nice cover, but the interior art sometimes leaves a little bit desired. So I'm looking to see if this maybe, uh, you know, it's a little better than uh, I think it's going to be. Uh, we also have the premiere of Alex Ross's Project Superpowers. Well, it's a, it's a zero issue. It's a buck, uh, written by Alex Ross and Jim Kruger, artist Steven Sadowski. Uh, it's Alex Ross's reimagining, working with... Uh, a little bit of the Golden Age characters that have been tossed aside, and that's coming out from Dynamite. We have Proof Number 4. I'm loving the Bigfoot book, so I'm looking forward to that. We have Salem Number 0. You might remember Salem, Queen of Thorns, was uh, the issue with the... They got the Wiccans pissed off. So, uh, yeah, good luck to them, and good luck to the Wiccans. We have Suburban Glamour Number 3 of 4, the Jamie McKelvey story about a very attractive hipster girl who is a fairy from another dimension. I'm enjoying it. And that's about it for this week. Uh, talk to you next week. There'll be a whole new batch of awesome books to get. And I uh, look forward to reading all of them. Good day. And that will take care of another Monday edition of Around Comics, the comic culture podcast. 
Remember to uh, come back on Thursday and enjoy the Around Comics Roundtable. You can uh, visit us online by going to www.aroundcomics.com. You can email the show at info at aroundcomics.com or me personally at chris at aroundcomics.com. You can check us out at Comic Space and MySpace. Uh, you can be so kind as to leave a uh, review at the iTunes Music Store. Everybody knows that is my favorite. So come back on Thursday for that roundtable discussion. And in the meantime, in between time, you know that we will be everywhere in and around comics. Views expressed in the interviews or by guests of the show are solely those of the individuals expressing them and may not reflect the opinions of around comics. Any reproduction, rebroadcast, or retransmission without the express written consent of around comics is strictly prohibited. All content presented in this program is the sole property of around comics, and this has been an around comics production copyright 2008. I'm still writing 2007 on my checks. I hate that. Got my loving baby, now you gone. Got my love, baby, now.